you know, you have kings and queens of Britain and I'm the king of Britain. So I'm number one on paper and I think in skills I've proved myself, man. I look at my resume, man. I don't just fight anyone. I've worked my way up. I fought guys like with names and whatnot. So yeah, man, I think I deserve to be in a mix, man. For years, I've just been grafted behind the scenes. Everyone's always saying this name, that name. I never ever get a mention. Like, like I said on Sky, I heard Johnny Nelson like, yeah, if, um, he was like, he said, if it goes the distance, I'll probably get it. But if anyone's gonna get stopped, it's gonna be me that gets stopped. And I was just looking for you. Welcome to the number one podcast in a sport where Dan Aziz is British light heavyweight champion. Um, I'm still made up. You can tell my voice is not what it normally is. The voice paid a heavy price, but I like to feel my my instructions from 20 meters away were the deciding factor. No joking. Um, I'm still on cloud nine about all of that. I'm still blown away. I'm I'm humbled. What an amazing night. What an amazing fight. What an amazing event. And there was no better platform you'd want to see Dan win that British title. It wasn't on YouTube. It wasn't on BT. It was on Sky Sports, where he announced himself to the boxing world and said, I can do this every fight. But let's let's walk back and let's understand how we got to, to that point. So if you remember, Dan must have won the English title, what, two years ago? And... He's defended, look, he's had a tough run defending it. So he fought Lawrence Osuweke for the English title, which I said at the time was a credible English title fight. Defended against Andre Sterling, makes perfect sense in a pandemic. And also defended against Ricky Summers, which isn't an easy fight. Ricky will give you a tough fight. So Dan's had a three-fight run at English level where he's made his case for a British title fight. No one knew who he was going to get. You kind of thought, give him like a, a pick up names at random, like a Reese Cartwright, maybe a Shikan, or if Craig had held on to the title, that would have been the perfect mandatory, right? And out of nowhere, Jose Burton gets the, gets the nod. And let's be absolutely clear about this. Jose Burton is one of those guys in British boxing you have to respect. But... I always go back to talking to Dan about who he'd have to fight for the British. And this is two or three years ago. We never had Jose Burton on the radar because we thought one of two things. Either Jose would be up there, European world level, whatever. Or, as he was doing at the time, he'd go up to cruiserweight. Because even back then we were hearing, you know, hearing the noise that he couldn't quite make cru- um, light heavyweight. So we never thought this fight would happen. And if you remember, Jose lost to Bolotniks. So at that point you're like, ah, it's done. You know, maybe he doesn't want to box anymore. Maybe other things in life are getting in the way. Who knows? And so he gets a win against Liam Conroy. And let's be honest, Liam Conroy, area level at best, you know, was rather fortunate to fight Joshua Barsi for the British, if I'm being honest. And it was, it was convenient matchmaking. And so when you see that, you, you, you understand that Jose has been put in that position. Someone's put him there. For whatever reason, who knows? Maybe it was to say to Sky, look, if you can get behind Hosea Burton, 
Fast and Fury comes with that in terms of attendance, being at the event, and you've got a chance to show Tyson Fury what Sky are all about in this new era. Maybe Tyson Fury becomes a Sky fighter. So I'm not saying that was the case, but you can see how there's a wider strategy involving Jose Burton in this British title and Sky that doesn't necessarily include Dan, right? Because there's never been a plan for Dan. And if I'm wrong on that, I'll, I'll happily take the criticism. Dan has had to do everything the hard way. He's had to do everything in adversity. So this fight was no different. This fight was no different. And in the build-up, Dan was motivated by that injustice where he's like, I have to prove myself again. When am I going to get an easy fight? And I'm talking about the same themes now that I did with Craig Richards. When the machine's not behind you, you have to do it the hard way. But here's the problem. When you do it the hard way, you become better for it. You become stronger for it. You become smarter for it. So it actually becomes harder to push you out of position. Do you see this with Craig? If Craig says he wants to fight for a world title now, it's hard to argue against that. If Dan says, look, I want these domestic dust-ups, it's hard to argue against that now. Because they've gone through such a hard run that their records stack up against the people they might call out. So that gets us to the event. Now, there's no animosity between Dan and Jose Burton. There's respect. Because back in the day, we used to look at Jose Burton as a pro and go, yo, that guy can really fight. You know, he's good. We never thought we'd fight him because he was that different generation. He was that 08 generation. So he's like a George Groves. So you don't think you're going to, you might, be, you might be in camp with him, but you don't think you're going to fight him for the British because he should be long gone or retired. So now you come to the fight. And I, in my head, I thought, I always believed Dan would win. I remember speaking to Brian O'Shaughnessy briefly on, on the Friday. And he just told me, listen, we've got the plan. Dan wins this easy. We've got the plan. And in my head, I'm like, eh, yeah, all right, easy. Not so sure. It wasn't until the Saturday morning, I don't know if I said this on the previous episode, but it wasn't until the Saturday morning when I saw Hosea Burton. And the first thing I thought was, this guy's made weight horribly. Whatever's happened in the last two weeks to Hosea Burton, it's emptied him. And at that point, I said, Dan stops this guy. And it's a weird thing to explain. Like, your instincts tell you because you've seen people make weight before. So just to illustrate the point, you see Natasha Jonas at breakfast, glowing, radiant, looks, looks like she could walk in front of the sky cameras right there and then. Even Joe, like after a bit of scrambled eggs, some mushrooms, some baked beans, Joe looked full of life. Hosea looked like, he looked like, Jesus, man, this is going to be a long day. I don't need to be here. It was the vibe I got watching these guys. But I couldn't get to Dan. I was still trying to sort out the tickets for most of the day. It wasn't until I recorded the episode, pushed it out, came back to the hotel and I saw Dan. I saw Dan because I don't even know why he was out in the lobby, but he, I saw Dan. We just had a quick chat. Now, I always, I like the same message I give to Dan all the time. I said, be the best version of you because not many people can handle that. But then I said to him, I don't think Jose has done the weight properly. I, he didn't look strong. He didn't look that enthusiastic. He didn't look that hungry. And I said, just jump on him from round one. 
If he's got anything about him, he'll resist that. If he doesn't resist that, you're going to stop him. We, had a, we talked about a few more things, and then he went off and had his pre-fight nap. I still love the fact that you could, you could be thinking about having a nap at quarter to five on fight night. So it kind of lets you know where, where his head was at, and kudos to him. And so we spoke about that, and I, I left feeling confident because Dan looked strong. He looked like he made the weight really well. L- looked like he, he had a point to prove, is how I describe it. And so at that point, there, yeah, I've done my bit. Now all I could do is watch the fight. And I've seen the fight twice, so obviously I saw the fight live. But I had to go back and watch the, the broadcast version. So I, I could also get into the head of the audience. And actually, watching it on Sky, it's a better performance than watching it live. Don't ask me how I want. Watching it live, and it might be the emotion, it might be the anxiety, it felt a bit slower. But then when I watched it on Sky, where I got to see the more of the nuance around it. Really good paced fight, actually. I can see why there was so much energy around what Dan was doing. And actually, so much energy around just the, the psychology of it and Jose Burton refusing to wilt and still, under all that pressure, still trying to find different ways to, to overcome what was in front of him. But if I'm being honest with you, the, the difference between the two like if we look at it at the highest possible level, the difference lay in the jabs. And I don't know why, because some of his experiences, Jose, and with the pedigree that he comes with, and he does come with pedigree, should have been wise to what the situation required. Not once did Hosea jab with any authority. Like his jab was like a throwaway jab and it, it was, it was sufficiently low that his chin was always vulnerable for the right hand. Now, they would have known that in camp. I'm not going to say they didn't know. They would have known that in camp. So watching Jose just use the jab as like a, like a range finder, something to distract and disrupt, but never to, there was no jab thrown in anger. Maybe there was nothing in the tank to throw that. I don't know. But look at Dan's jab. And I've felt Dan's jab and I've seen Dan's jab over the years. It doesn't tap. It just doesn't tap. When that jab comes, it's going to hurt you. And so that was the difference because remember, that's the punch you throw the most in the fight. And Dan felt confident walking through Hosea's jab because it wasn't doing anything. And once Dan could get that forward momentum, the shots could just come naturally off that. And because you could see Jose didn't have the strength, he couldn't even hold his ground. So he had to retreat, find space to let the shots go, and Dan wasn't letting it. Dan was just gobbling up that space. And the shots that Jose was trying to leave in that space just weren't heavy enough to deter Dan. Because it looked like, honestly, it looked like Jose thought, I could do this first half of the fight just with my, my hand speed, my timing, my experience, you know, I could old man him through the round, you know, throw a combination, time up, spin him around, get back to the middle of the ring, work again. Dan, Dan wasn't falling for it. And if you notice, as soon as Dan shut the space down, the hands just went. And the beautiful thing about Dan, I think this is like the, the maturation in his style. He doesn't wait till his feet are in the perfect position to throw shots. I think that's the difference between the amateurs and the pros. Like, you're so programmed to have your feet in one position before you can throw punches. 
Dan just let the hands go from all positions. So he did that thing that most boxers hate. He started to throw punches off beat. So it wasn't just one, two. It was like, like a one and two and, you know what I mean, just off that beat. So you can't get the timing right. And Dan was playing around with the timing and the kind of bounce in his shots. So Isaiah couldn't get the read. I really, really enjoyed watching this, Dan, because I saw the evolution. Like, when you saw Dan, he's... he's... When I saw Dan as an amateur, straight up and down, yeah? Dan would, two hands up, come forward, throw his combinations, two hands up, stay there, work again. Go in, work again. I remember one of his last fights against Thomas Kalfa. God, I talked about this on the New Age podcast as well. Let's go back to that episode. It's like June 2016. And Dan just kept getting hammered with left hooks because he did what most English boxers are trained to do. Step forward, do your work, rest. Step forward again, do your work, rest. It's a really basic package, but Dan got really far because he was strong and he was game. And I see the evolution. And here's where you've got to salute a man like Brian O'Shaughnessy, right? Because that's his trainer. And Dan stayed loyal to Brian O'Shaughnessy when others left. So we can't give other people credit for this. We've got to give Brian the credit for what we see now. So the evolution is wonderful because, number one, Dan's more flexible in how he works his feet. And I'm saying all of this so young fighters out there can understand. And also some of you guys that enjoy boxing can understand these things. Dan's now more flexible with where he puts his feet. Yeah, he puts his feet in the most advantageous places. Um, you, you know, you guys already saw the fight. Look at, look, look at the finish. How many times was he southpaw, like Mike Tyson used to be? But he didn't try and readjust and go orthodox. He said, look, if I'm in the southpaw position, we're still going. That's an evolution. The, the head movement, the structure of the head movement, where you, it was literally... You know, he gave the, not the same look, but the common theme and look of bring the head forward, pull it back, pull it to the side, pull it back again, back to the side, back under. And he was able to move like that, which threw Jose off as well. But these are all things that have been folded into the mix over years. You know, the, the leaping jab, it's like an old school 1920s type jab that the guys used to throw a lot of the times, like those John L. Sullivan type guys used to throw. But what that does, shuts the distance down and also reminds you Dan has freakishly long arms. So there are all of these evolutions. And so when I saw the, the kind of, you know, the old school style that was coming with it, the purple trunks, I said, there's a lot of that Hagler spirit. Not Hagler in fact, because Marvin Hagler is one of the greatest to ever do it. But that spirit, that mauling, that, that, that hell, create a sense of hell in the ring but do it with a bit of tactical discipline. And Dan did that. And that's a big evolution for Dan. It's not complete. You could edit down some of the things and hopefully that will happen. But just seeing that growth. And a lot of times, look, a lot of times I've given the peacock a hard time, but Dan was able to develop in the peacock. And this is what we've seen, not solely in the peacock, but this is what you've seen. And tribute as well to all the traveling he's done for sparring. The George Groves is the, I mean, the Craig Richards is even big Marcus Williams, uh, Darren Till, all the guys that he's gone away and done work with, paying dividends now. 
because he's a far better animal in that ring and I was really happy for him. But if we go back to that fight, that was just, that was, that was bulldozing. That was a bulldozing. And I don't even like saying it because like I said, I quite like Jose. And that's not how I wanted to see Jose go out. Like I wanted there to be at least some resistance so Dan could say, you know what? I was in a real, real fight. Although, if you look at round four, you know, Jose did try and stand his ground. I think there's a shot. And when Dan's interviewed, maybe he'll say it. But there was a shot that definitely hurt Dan. There was a right hand to the body that definitely hurt Dan. You know, he might still be feeling that now. But the, the man would not be denied. Dan knew if he didn't win this British title, they wouldn't give him another shot. No chance in hell. And we might not have seen Dan again. Because they would have had all the reason to just park him. Because he wouldn't have had a belt. So you could have just parked him. And that's where you saw the hunger. Uh, can anyone think back to the last seconds of the third round? And I think this is kind of where you knew that the end was coming. And Dan missed with a big right hand, ended up punching the ropes, but came back with this leaping left hook that, that literally scattered Hosea's senses. And at that point, I was like, this is just a question of when, not if. Like, that's when I had no doubt that the fight was going to end in a stoppage. I, didn't, I actually didn't think it would go seven rounds. Yeah, but yeah, just th round three and four, if you want to watch it back on Sky, I think rounds three and four are, are just a great set of boxing from a technical perspective. I think round five for pure entertainment and then six and seven, obviously, for the, for the end game. But just watching little things Dan was doing. So watching Dan throw a left hook conventionally with, with almost with the thumbs up, realizing he might not make it and then flipping it to the thumbs parallel to the floor just to get that extra reach and talk on the hook. That's what you call professional boxing. That ability to take what the rule book or the textbook gives you and flip it into something. Yeah, flip it into something that's even better than the textbook could have given you. All these little things like I've been able to watch and reflect on and go, he's so much different from the guy I remember in the amateurs. And I'm happy about that. I'm happy for him and I'm happy for Brian. Because a lot of times trainers don't get the credit they deserve. So kudos to both of them for that. Um, so that end game from round five onwards. I think at that point the story became how much of this can Hosea take, number one. Number two, how much of this is Joe going to let him take? You know there were points in that fight where you half expected Tyson Fury to just jump onto the ring apron and just step over and go, I've got this now. I mean, chill, chill, Jose, I've got this. Because it was so one-sided, but Jose just would not be denied. And that's, you know, when you talk about fighting heart, when you talk about toughness, that's what you're talking about. That toughness, that I am not wilting under this pressure. And he tried everything he could. And over the course of the fight, you saw him make little adjustments. So he went from trying to be the one-two guy by round four, he's realized he might have to be a combination puncher sooner than he thought he'd have to, and he'd have to up the work rate. And then five and six, he was just trying to, you know I mean, all the old tricks to survive. And by the seventh, I was just like, wow, we were still here. But then Dan saw it off and that finish, that finish, that's like a Carl Froch type finish. You know where you just know that you're not getting out of that corner. 
Yeah, the only person that can save you is either the ref or Joe Gallagher. You're not getting out of that corner. I actually think they could, they probably could have waved it off after six, but I understand that you want to let Jose go out on his shield. And once Dan stopped, I I speak for myself emotionally. I just I was overwhelmed. You know, I was overwhelmed. Um, just happy, man. He what what a great human being. What what a deserving character. What a performance when you had everything to prove and you had everything against you, and you showed the British public. Forget boxing for a second. You showed the British public you will always give them entertaining fights. You're not going to be there to play it safe. You can't play it safe. The system never let you play it safe. And so when I was able to read all the tweets, some mentioning me, others not, which is all good. I don't care as long as Dan gets mentioned and people appreciate what he gave you that night. Because remember how heavily touted Hosea was as a favorite. Like that was meant to be a procession because like I told you, the plan was to leverage Jose Burton. But when I, when I look back on that fight, what, I, what I'll always remember in very simple terms is there's a real skill in being able to draw your opponent's lead and then know what you want to do once you've done that. And I don't know if Jose tried that in the whole fight. Let me try drawing the lead and smothering him or let me try drawing the lead and countering straight off that. Maybe Dan just didn't give him a look that he felt comfortable enough with but he definitely wasn't trying to draw the lead, but he was also walking onto the right hand. Like he was drifting that way as if he didn't know how to escape to the other side. I don't know. The sum total of it is, I, I think he assumed the fight would be easier than it was. I, well, I say that. I, so I, I managed to, I actually managed to speak to Jose in the, in the hotel bar after the fight. And when I spoke to him, he, he seemed frustrated so here's the things I can say for absolute certain. He won't be making 12 and a half stone ever again. I don't think he wanted to make 12 and a half stone in the first place. And by his own admissions, he made it badly. And like he said, I think his exact words were, look, I had no muscle mass. I had nothing. I had no strength in there. What was I supposed to do? But he's got the dilemma. And I'm not saying anything that... Well, you know, I don't think it's a secret. Jose Burton can't make 12 and a half and be healthy. He's 33 years old now. The body just reacts differently. I don't think he can make 14-4. Cause I don't think he's that big that he could do 14-4. So he's caught between weights in a really horrible, horrible way. And it shows that a weight class is needed somewhere between 175 and 200. Like a one... A 185 or 190 would make sense. 187 would make sense. Because like you've got guys like Jose who at 187 pounds, he's probably a good fighter. But at 175, he's not. So the question is, what does Jose want? If he wants titles, mm, well, he's got to struggle. But if he just wants entertaining money fights, why can't you have people fight at 185? and see what happens, see if Jose does produce that performance. Because like I keep, and I said this to Jose after the fight, I said to him, hey, you're, you're an amateur star from when you were young all the way through, and you've never let the sport down. You've never let this country down when it comes to you know, being a great ambassador for the sport. 
So you have to salute Isaiah Burton. Like, I respect Isaiah Burton because, he, like Dan, he's come up the right way. For me, I'll always say come up the right way because that's how you learn. Like, having opportunities gifted to you is fine. But when you get to that top level, you get found out because those guys at the top all have that solid foundation. And under pressure, that's what they call upon. So, now, massive kudos to Isaiah Burton, one of the toughest men out there. I'm delighted for Dan, and I'm delighted for Dan for so many reasons. Dan's my friend. He's a guy I've known for nearly 10 years. I've seen this journey, and I've seen the struggles, and I've heard the pain, and, you know, there have been some missteps along the way. And I'm hoping this is like a, a fresh chapter for him. We we actually, <clears throat> weirdly enough, I spoke to him the Sunday after, and, you know, he, he was able to enjoy the the championship privileges. I can say that champion and belt are are happy right now. They 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 celebrated well. They had a good time. Um, I'm proud of him. We we were able to speak. We had about ten minutes to speak on Sunday morning before I checked out. I think he knows how he wants to move forward. Um, I can't say too much at the moment, but he definitely knows how he wants to move forward because what he said is look. I did all of this against the odds, so the world has got to back me now. And I, I can't see an argument against that because there are people who have done less in boxing that get more. And that's not fair. Why isn't Dan Aziz on Good Morning Britain? Hopefully Dan Aziz will be on Sky Sports News. Like, like he should be in front of the cameras because he was fight of the night. Like, Mikel Lawal for the knockout, maybe. But for for meaning, for who had the energy in the night, Dan Aziz by far, by far, fight of the night, fighter of the night, Dan Aziz. Again on a Sky show, he delivers. Remember that. Charlie Duffield, now Hosea Burton. And one of the great things about that night was he's surrounded by his peers. You know, Craig's there, Shakam Peters is there. Ola Lausers and people won't know who Ola is, but without Ola, I wouldn't know Dan. Those two guys have done hundreds, if not thousands of rounds together. Friends from the same area, known each other. And so when people say to me, who, what did you do with the tickets you won, Terry? I gave them to Ola and his partner. Why? Because when I spoke, I spoke to him and I said, what do you mean you're not going to be here? Like, this is the moment you guys used to talk about and dream about and spar about back in the day. You have to be here. And so seeing Ola there, voices hoarse as well, he's emotional because, like, when he wins, we all win. You know, so just being surrounded by your peers, Freezy's there, Chris Congo's there, Craig Richards is there, Shakam Pitters is there, and everyone feels the same way. One of the good guys has won. One of the genuine good guys. I think I said he's the he's his generation's Dwayne Sinclair, the guy that just knits everything together. You all come to Dan because Dan's a gentleman in the sport, and there aren't many of those about. And it's crazy that I've just spoken for what twenty six and a half minutes about one fight, but I had so much invested in this, and I know the journey doesn't stop now. But this was the point we wanted to get to. Because I genuinely think once you get to British level, you've earned the right to make a real living in this sport. 
The only thing I will say, and I have said this to Dan, is don't leave the country. Don't leave the gym. Do not let your weight go up. Because they will maneuver that mandatory shot. They will they will have I am confident of this. The board will force Dan to fight in March. And I am also confident they'll make Dan defend that British title against Shikan Pitters. Now, what would I do? And I think Dan's already of this mind anyway. Dan will <coughs> excuse me. Dan will be sat there on December 4th at the Copper Box. And if Frank is smart, I know Dev might be listening to this, get Dan Aziz tickets, make sure he's sat right in that front row, in the middle, so the hard camera stays on him. And after that fight, let Dan come in the ring and say, listen, you've got a belt, I've got a belt. Easter, let's make it happen. That's, that's what we want to see now. Nothing else. Let's see that. Let's see. Let's actually have a moment, finally have a damn moment in boxing where we know what's coming. Dan's got the British. Either Lyndon's going to win the British or Anthony Yard's going to win the British. Either way, Dan knows both guys. They all know each other. Have them in the ring. Have those two belt holders in the ring and say, when can we make this fight happen? If Frank hasn't got the sense to do that, the zone deserve to buy BT and kick him out. We need that moment. Because look at the problem we have at the moment. We've got Josh Boatsy won the British title. And, I mean, didn't really have to defend it. Craig Richards won the British title, didn't really have to defend it. Dan's now won the British title. So there are, there are three South Londoners who won British titles. These guys have never fought each other. And so when they sit down and go, who had the better win? How do you do it? Who was the more live opponent? Don't know. Who's the bigger name of the three? Jose Burton. So now Dan sat there like, yo, technically I've got the better win at British level. So mm -hmm. we shouldn't be in this position where those three from South East London are having a row. Then you've got Yard and Arthur who are there going, no, 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 no. Don't leave me out of this discussion. Okay, now pause. Now travel up north again. I've got Callum Smith and Callum Johnson going, what are you Londoners talking about? The light heavyweight monsters are from here. Joe Gallagher made the, the light heavyweight monsters. So we've got this, this thing where there are arguable cases for who the top guy is. And as fans, we should, do, we should just demand that, hey, all of you fight each other. Stop going to America. Stop going to Latvia. Stop going to Belarus. All of you fight each other. That's what we want. As fans, that's what we want. That's what we should demand. Hopefully, that's what boxers are about now. Give us one person that we can get behind and say, this is the guy who's best in this division. Push it on. And that's what Dan was saying. I'm number one in this division right now. Mate, he's got the, he's got the metal work. You know, he's got the evidence. So kudos to Dan. I'm proud of him. I'm just, yeah. You know, glad to know the guy. Happy for him. I felt the same way about Craig as well. 
slightly different relationship with Craig because I wasn't day to day with Craig because he turned pro probably, yeah, he turned pro a lot earlier than Dan. So I wasn't day to day with Craig like I was with Dan. Doesn't mean I love him any less, but they're all good guys. And what is probably sensible to do now is to stop this episode and then I'll have to do another one where I'll cover the rest of the show and the rest of the event. And then there'll be a third one, which is, you know, like Crawford Spence. There's so much to talk about. Wow. And I don't even know if my voice will hold up. So I'm going to sign out at this point and then say, you know, tune into part two. Take care, guys. And goodbye. Goodbye.